From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello, welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show and we're honored that you're joining us today. I certainly hope that our listeners in the U.S. took some time yesterday to spend time with the mothers in their life. Yesterday was Mother's Day in the U.S. Now, there are certain topics we cover on this show that are just plain hard to schedule. Since the people who are most knowledgeable, the ones we want as guests, are the ones busy doing what they do best. Now, our topics for today are definitely examples of that, angel capital and venture capital. Our guests today we're, are with uh, Desert Angels and uh, Angel Capital Group in Tucson, Arizona, and their schedules are very full with finding promising companies, meeting with the management, evaluating the deals. Once the investments are actually made, the real work begins, but I'm getting far ahead of myself. That's what we'll be talking about today. Now, if you're joining us for the first time today, after you hear today's show, I'm guessing you'll want to check out the archive of past shows and join us for all upcoming shows since you will gain a lot. The uh, There is an archive. We will talk about that very shortly. Now, in each of our shows, we try to make sure we share some great investment ideas or we remind you about the investment fundamentals, or we inform you of investments your broker doesn't want you to know about. Today is clearly one of those days. We've been doing a series on alternative investments. We actually started back in April of 2012. We took a break for a while, and then since December, almost continuously, we've been talking various alternative investments. If you missed those shows you'll want to go back to the archive and listen to them. Now, since our topic today is angel capital and capital, we'll need to cover it from both perspectives. The entrepreneurs and companies that are seeking capital for their startup or growth and expansion, as well as the perspective of our regular listeners. Those are investors. Today is May 13th, 2003. It is 9.02 in Phoenix, Arizona, 9.02 Pacific Time, and so too in Continental Europe. Now, you're listening to the Wealthy Any Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. This show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. And as you know, you change your clocks, your time will change. Arizona doesn't. Now, I certainly hope you join us each time we air, but if you happen to miss a show, or if you want to go back and re-listen to our prior shows, just like the ones on the alternative investments I mentioned, you can hear them on the archives. Where do you find them? www.wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, for those of you curious about the U.S. equity markets, uh, the uh, actually started the day off slightly negative. It looks like they're going to try to peek through and go to a new record again today or something. It's been absolutely nuts. Now, negative is pretty normal for a Monday, but it looks like they will break out of that negative territory shortly. Asia was totally bipolar. Japan was up by more than a percent, and Hong Kong was down by more than a percent. I guess printing money in Japan at the pace that they are does pump up the stock market. But don't think that'll happen in the U.S., of course. Europe is mixed and Brazil is down. Now, if someone is new at investing in equities and just started, let's say, in November of 2012, they may have the impression that stock markets go up almost continuously. For that matter, even if they started after the first quarter of 2009, so the last four years, they might feel stock markets steadily go up they have an occasional dip of 5 to 10% and then proceed up to new record levels. Well, is that normal? I don't think so. You see, I would, if that's your impression, that, that markets just keep going up, I suggest you research some past market cycles. See what happens after a long stretch of continuing stock prices price increases. Now, you may be wondering what will trigger that market top and then that next decrease. And I have to remind you, I'm not allowed to tell you what will cause it, nor when it will occur. 
Now, Jig Bond Invest, you have seen almost continual gains for 35 years. And performance, they'll say, well, it's always been going up. It will keep going up. Those bond prices dropped last week as investors seemed less eager to buy the U.S. Treasury bills at those pitiful low yields. I certainly won't, and I haven't for four or five years. Now, we have a lot to cover today on, on uh, Angel Capital and Venture Capital, so I'd better introduce the first of our guests, Curtis Gunn. He started his career as an entrepreneur founding and operating companies, companies in a variety of areas, retail, Internet, healthcare, real estate. He then made a huge shift, traveling the world, competing as a professional cyclist. He rode for both the U.S. and Australian-based professional cycling teams. He's now the chairman of Dead Angels, an angel investment group of over 90 accredited investors, and he's invested in over 30 companies across a broad range of industries, technologies, and geographies. Let's give a warm, oh, let's try that again, a warm radio welcome to Curtis Gunn. Welcome, Curtis. I'm really glad you're able to pry away from some of your angel investing and meet with me and our listeners. Good morning, Ron. Thank you very much. Appreciate being here. Well, I gave a brief review of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Uh, I would say uh, I'm chairman of the Desert Angels, and usually the next question is, well, what what are the Desert Angels? And I say that uh, we're <laughs> very much what you said. Uh, we're a group of investors that look at early-stage startup companies, and we help finance those companies for their uh, either startup or growth. And I bet some of the people are wondering where your motorcycle is when you mention the Desert Angels. They're probably thinking the Hell's Angels, right? <laughs> now, I don't I appear to have, have you, <laughs> if, uh, you don't appear to have the typical uh, background for an angel investor. Tell us a little bit about the transition. You were the entrepreneur. You are the one that was more likely to be using angel capital or venture capital. Tell us a little bit about that transition from being an entrepreneur to breaking away and being a professional cyclist and back to angel investing. Well, I actually discovered the group when I actually pitched a company to the group uh, back in 2001. So um, mm -hmm. that's how I discovered the, the existence of the Desert Angels, and I liked what they were doing. Uh, so I became a member early on, um, fairly soon thereafter, and uh, was involved, have been involved in the group ever since. Um, my cycling career, uh, I had an opportunity, I've raced bikes all my life on and off, and I had an opportunity um, in 2005 to turn pro. I got a pro contract, mm -hmm. so I decided to take that new avenue in life, and I uh, explored that for five years and raced bikes for five years, and then um, had a career-ending accident at the end of '09 that brought me back uh, to the states. And when the Desert Angels found out that I had a lot of free time on my hands, they uh, put me in charge of the group. Fantastic, fantastic. Here, now, uh, I guess uh, cycling is not one of those things you put off until retirement, so that made sense to uh, to take advantage of it when you could, huh? Absolutely. Now, I saw a recent announcement. You were just selected to be on a board of directors, and that, that wouldn't be unusual for somebody as an angel investor or part of a group like that, but it wasn't related to one of the companies you're investing in. Can you share a little bit about that with our audience? Sure. Uh, I was recently elected to the board of the Angel Capital Association, which is a national board. Uh, it's a trade organization that organizes and lobbies on the behalf of all of the angel groups in the country. Uh, so there's over 185 member angel groups in under the Angel Capital Association. And I, as of, I've been elected to the board, but my term doesn't actually start until July 1st. So starting July 1st, I'll uh, be a, a board member there. I understand, but still, a uh, bit of an honor, I understand, because, I, I, you know, Arizona is not known for either angel capital or venture capital, if you look on the scale of the U.S. or the scale of the world, uh, and I understand you're the first from Arizona. Uh, that's correct, and uh, we're, we Desert Angels and we in Arizona are getting to be known um, on a national scale for angel investing. In 2012, the Desert Angels were the 11th most active angel group in the country. And uh, it's a fact that just came out a couple of weeks ago, and I, I like to repeat it as often and as loudly as possible. 
No, I think it's it's great news, and I think you're being brought onto the uh, capital associate uh, the uh, Angel Capital Association board is is kind of a reflection of of that uh, showing up, if you will, on the radar screen. But why don't we take a moment to bring Base Horner into the conversation? Our second guest today is Basil Horner, who most people know as Base Horner. He has executive experience in all aspects of financial transactions. He's completed over six billion. That's the one with a B in financing and advised transactions for over 100 middle market, private, and public companies. He serves the executive board member and chairman of the screening panel for Desert Angels. He's also a co-founder of uh, Art Partners and a guest lecturer at the University of Arizona and a senior advisor to Cave Creek Capital Management. So he's got his fingers in lots of pots. Base, I gave a brief overview or background uh, welcome, and let me ask you the same question I asked Curtis. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Well, uh, thank you, Ron. Pleasure to be here um, with my partner, uh, Curtis Gunn. Um, combined, we run the Desert Angels, and uh, I think do a pretty good job. But uh, I have one of two answers. Uh, the one, the serious answer is, uh, you know, I'm a retired corporate banker, investment banker, uh, both from a Wall Street perspective as well as I started my own boutique for about 10 years. Uh, and uh, you, you get some of the statistics there, but uh, probably you know well over $7 billion probably by now and you know multiple hundreds of transactions involvement. Um, historically, I was focused on a lot of uh, private equity deals, um, more in the buyouts, um, maybe venture capital management buyout area, but uh, about five, six, seven years ago, I decided I wanted to become more local, have more local involvement. Mm-hmm. So now I got involved on an angel basis with the Desert Angels um, and do, you know, have Arch Partners, which is really a seed startup fund. So, um, and that brought me home and brought me back to primarily focusing on Arizona and the Southwest. So that's the, the serious answer. The, the less serious answer mm-hmm. is I'm, I'm self-unemployed. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, I, I assume you did pretty well in your career since you don't uh, seem to be typical retirement age. So uh, calling yourself a retiree might be a little bit of a stretch in most people's minds. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if uh, it would seem as an investor, now whether I'm looking mm-hmm. at the stock market, bond market, real estate, private companies, deciding which investments to make and which investments to pass on would be the most important we face. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, if you could, obviously, if we knew which, the, you know, the, a lot of people say you're defined by the ones that you don't do versus the ones that you do mm-hmm. do. Um, and I think that to some degree that is probably true. Um, you know, it's it's a very different process in the angel world than it is in the, the stock, bond, market, real estate, uh, even in the private equity world. Because there you have metrics you can look at and make you know some reasonable assumptions, and it's it's pretty it's it's not quite as difficult. When you get to the angel world, um, there's uh, there's skill and luck, and probably a lot of it's luck. But you use the same skill set. <laughs> it's just a much bigger component of it is the luck component, which you can't really manage anyway. So. But, <laughs> I like that. I like that. But but that to me is fun. That's the fun part. So. Oh, I can understand that. Now, your background seems a little bit more typical. You, you came up in the finance world uh, that, uh, you know, you worked for various uh, cor- corporate finance roles, mm-hmm. securities companies. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit of the aspects of your career that kind of really you now look back and say, hey, those were the most important, the most helpful in uh, becoming luckier uh, at uh, at picking investments. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the one thing that uh, probably gets – it's probably the most important, and it's true whether you're, you know, dealing on a multi-billion-dollar transaction or a, uh, you know, small, you know, two hundred thousand-dollar angel investment, is the management team. Um, and I've always okay. spent a lot of time focusing on the management team and their ability to execute on the trans on a transaction. Um, it's it's probably, you know, when you're with a bigger company, you tend to have more people as part of the management team, whereas in the angel investing, you may be betting on one, two, three people max. So, right. You know, so that's probably what I would say is still the same. And that doesn't change regardless. 
Um, you know, I've sort of, you know, I've always said, you know, take a, a, a great management team, and I'll take a great management team over a, with a bad idea over a great idea and a bad management team any day. Um, so, you know, I think that that's, and then there's other things that I, as, as Curtis knows, and anybody who's ever been involved in when I go through due diligence on an angel deal, that I, you know, let creep in. I look at capital structure. I look at ownership. I look at all these things that, you know, are really, really important to me. I don't honestly get too caught up in the idea, um, and, hmm. and, the, and and because the really the reality is it's probably going to change along the way anyway. Um, but the the I really focus more on the things that I can get my arms around than things that I can't get my arms around. Wow. Okay. That is that's uh, somewhat surprising information. We're going to definitely want to dig in more now. Hopefully, our listeners get a little bit more familiar with each of your voices now. And if they do want to connect the uh, names and the faces, by the way, in the radio when, we, when they're coming in through the uh, Internet, uh, you'll be able to see Curtis has the darkest hair. And uh, <laughs> if you want to contrast it, I'm the one with the beard. So uh, you know that in between there is, is base. Now, the two of you can decide you know, who would answer which of the questions first. And obviously, want to get both of your perspectives whenever uh, you, they might differ. But uh, before we dig in, before we kind of dig into to some of those details, uh, let's make sure to share with our listeners how they find out more about Desert Angels, not to be, con- you know, to contrast them with the Hell's Angels. What uh, what's a website or a way they can look up more information? Yeah, the website is uh, DesertAngels.org. Org. Uh, make sure you don't go to the .com because that is a gospel singing group in Las Vegas, Nevada. So the listeners in Las Vegas might know the Desert Angels is a different group. I like that. Uh, I never even thought of trying the .org since I knew yours, but that's great. So some of our um, our listeners are multitaskers. They can listen at the same time, review a bit about your uh, your group. Now, the fact that it is a .org already gives us some hint that you're not structured as a typical company is. So... You know, I would think, and you know, initial thought was when I heard of uh, Desert Angels, you might be structured like an investment fund. In the U.S., of course, we call them mutual funds, and in that, you know, each of the members are, is a unit holder, and they own some percentage of the fund. It may be real small, or it might be you know five percent. And a fund manager would be making the investment decisions. Tell us a little bit about how you're structured uh, and contrasting it to that. Yeah, we're completely different from that. Um, Technically, we're a five. The Desert Angels themselves are a 501c6, so we're a not-for-profit mm-hmm. uh, organization, educationally based. Um, and at its core, the Desert Angels, we just have a monthly dinner meeting where our investors come to the meeting and look at opportunities from entrepreneurs pitching uh, their, their their business model. Um, everybody is there as an individual, so we don't invest mm-hmm. as a group, um, and that's very mm-hmm. important. Uh, that an important distinction that everybody is making decisions to invest their own funds um, and they're doing enough of their own diligence to make that decision to invest or not. And the only thing I would add to that is all of our members are accredited by the, you know, the definition of accreditation. Yes. Okay. Right. Well, we definitely have talked about that in the show, and if obviously anybody mm-hmm. has a question, they will they will send that through on the on the chat window, or they'll they'll uh, send me an email afterwards. Now, if I became a member of Desert, Desert Angels, and I brought it, brought it was in number ninety one or ninety seven or, or number one hundred, maybe a little party for me. What would I need to invest initially to become uh, if that member and and take part in the group? Uh, assuming you are accredited. As Bay said, right. um, we the only requirement that we have is a ten thousand dollars per year investment requirement, and that can be spread. Okay. That can be in one investment or multiple investments. Um, but there's no that's the only uh, requirement we have for our membership. Hmm. Okay, so they don't have to put in five hundred dollars to become a member or something of that nope. sort. Oh, we, uh, oh, okay. We do we do have um, annual fees, which really just cover okay. our overhead. Um, mm-hmm. So the, and that uh, and most of that goes actually to the uh, the dinner part, the dinner meetings that we have. Um, okay. And as far as I know, we're still the best deal in the country. So. <laughs> yeah. No. I, that's why I, that was one of the important questions I had. Is you know I would have thought uh, given that structure, you'd even have uh, more people as as uh, 
uh, as members, and they, you know, then you'd have obviously the 80-20 of some more active than others. But let's take a moment to remind our listeners you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm host Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you miss some of the prior shows, like the earlier ones on alternative investments, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of shows, you can do one of two things, or both. Just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or in the upper left-hand corner, on the very top of the uh, radio player on the Internet, there is a picture of the Boomer and the Babe. Just click the follow button. They'll keep you informed of the great shows on the Boomer and the Babe Network. Now, a reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, yes, you, our listeners, to ask questions. Just start a chat in the area below the radio player. We won't try to take in uh, phone calls since we have so many good questions. I think they're good questions. Important to me, I'll put it that way, for uh, Curtis and, and Bass. So uh, we'll, we'll limit it to the uh, chat window today. Then... Uh, with that, we are talking about uh, Angel Capital and Venture Capital with Curtis Gunn and Bass Horner. They're executives with Desert Angels in Tucson, Arizona. Okay, gentlemen, if I'm a member of the Desert Angels, how do I get to know about the various companies that approach you or they, they also approach some of the other members about funding? I mean, how do I get that information? That's a, a great question. Um, and uh, I, let me walk you through a little bit of the process. Sure. We use a platform called Gust. It was actually developed by the New York Angel Group. It's a technology platform that land, allows us to manage our deal flow. Um, I am the first uh, front line on uh, deal submissions. Um, I probably okay. look at uh, anywhere from two to 300 transactions a year coming across my desk. Uh, not all of them would necessarily apply to GUST because that's part of the, the, the beginning process of the test to get to the final result of funding from mm-hmm. Desert Angels. But I would guess that we probably have anywhere from up to about 150-ish type GUST uh, submissions each year. Once the GUST submission is made, then the rest of the Angel group, the rest of our group, only our group, mm-hmm. you know, our 92 members, have access to those transactions. And they can look at them. So that, but from that, we we call down. Let's say approximately, we'll look at 30 to 40 a month, um, and we call that down to a screening channel of about six to eight. And the, at that point, that's when you get the most interest because now it's been through a screening process to get it. And so then we have a, a smaller group of uh, members that look at the transactions at the screening panel level, and then we determine from there which ones we want to move on to the dinner presentation, which is for the full membership. Okay, so if something does flow to one of the members, you know, the, the entrepreneurs happen to know them, they would be sending that to you anyway Correct. to go into everything that official has- process. You cannot be considered for funding until you have gone through that process. It doesn't matter who you are. Okay. Do you take so, bribes? Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. You don't. You don't even need to answer that one. That I, I'll, I'll, I'll take them, but you're still going to have to go and fill out the gust. <laughs> <laughs> you still have to go through the same process anyway. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Now, would that mean that I'm seeing three to four new companies and all of the details, um, you know, uh, and all of those? But you said out of the two to three hundred mm-hmm. you look at, not all of them will even hit that system. So I don't need to look at right. those that you've deemed as just don't work. Okay, so I'm not being yeah. swamped with everything you're looking at. No, no, you, you, and and you as a member really have the choice mm-hmm. of how much due diligence you want to do. We hope and expect you to do the due diligence, and by using the Gus platform, sure you will have access to all information. And the nice thing about that is that assuming you were to miss a a dinner, you would mm-hmm. you're, you're literally going to get about 98% of the information because we even video the presentations. So you really have no excuse. There is, well we we eliminated the excuse of well I wasn't at the dinner. So Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, so oh. now you 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 by accessing the the back end of Gus, you know, you can you literally have access to everything that we do. Interesting. Okay, now I'm starting to see some advantages. I mean, whenever I, you know, 
put these questions together, I'm starting to think of, okay, you know, why would anyone, uh, including myself, want to become a member? But let's cover some of those advantages. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is I now have access to companies looking for money, whereas if I were trying to do this on my own, I would just have to mention it to a bunch of people, and my chances I'm going to hear about one or two or three a year, and they may not be the best. Uh, I think that's probably pretty accurate. Um you know, we, we have not only a regional brand now, we are starting to have more of a national brand. So we are getting significant inquiries mm-hmm. from around the country with opportunities to co-invest from other very uh, prominent angel groups. Um, All right, so, so the and, number of options I have available to me to look at, it, it, it obviously, is, is much bigger and broader. Exponential. Uh, plus, you've done some pre-screening, right? You, 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 yes. You've trimmed that number. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you get, you know, it's already being, um, so that if you were looking at three to four, you'd have to say that compares to 300 to 400, not to the 60 or so that are even considered right. a screening panel. Gotcha. How about, are you finding in the members certain ones that kind of work together, they become buddies, mm-hmm. friends, uh, touching base, or, you know, even set up some sort of uh, email chance to say, I'm looking at this thing and it looks pretty good, but, you know, I'm, uh, what am I missing? And, you know, a little bit of the back and forth, kind of a brainstorming between the investors? Well, I think the, the, the thing that we try to do is, I, I don't know whether it would be exactly that, but what we try and do with each transaction is identify within the group a deal lead who's going to sort of be the lead person on that transaction. And hopefully oh, okay. it usually comes down to industry experience. So they have, you know, the vertical mm-hmm. experience. Um, you know, so my skill set actually usually doesn't come into play until a little bit later because I tend to get, you know, focus on more of the structure of the transaction, things like that. Which can go that goes across every transaction. What they're what we sure. look for in our membership is somebody that has been you know had a, if we have a medical device company, then they've spent the last 25 years working in the medical device area, or you know whether right. it's any type of technology or whatever it is, um, and then that we allow that person to basically lead the deal, and then the rest of the membership will you know essentially follow their lead. And Ron, okay. I think you right. hit on. Sure. Uh, something that's the power of an angel group is when you have a room full of 94 members, you have a really broad experience base um, across industries and technologies mm-hmm. and life experience, and the the power of that is is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I can imagine. I, I'm you know kind of looking forward to uh, to you know actually participating in some of that because I think this would be a lot of fun and meeting a lot of you know like-minded people is really you know an advantage in itself. Now, do you I'm just curious. Do you list those some of those advantages on your website? Uh, I don't think that is on our website bullet no. by bullet, no. no. All right. Well, I think that gave you a suggestion. <laughs> that could be a you know they just you know why not why not put it in people's minds just I got that from my own um, uh, mentoring uh, not mentoring what do we call them? mind uh, uh, come on what do we call them? mentoring groups where you kind of get together and share ideas amongst yourselves um, anyway I got that about a couple of weeks ago on some of the things about uh, dealing with my own company and it was kind of like uh, you know one of those V8 moments why didn't I think of doing that or so anyway there's a tip for you that I think as people look at your website if they saw that kind of blatantly you know here are the advantages working with us versus trying to do it yourself, uh, I think it becomes a no-brainer. No of course, you might have to you know, start uh, limiting people coming in as a result, but who knows. Now, you hold these periodic meetings, dinner meetings. I assume they're in Tucson for the most part. And this is what, a chance for companies to present themselves and uh, then the participants only members. Tell me a little bit about those dinner meetings. Uh, we meet for monthly dinner meetings September through June. We don't meet in July or August because uh, in Tucson, most of my membership uh, aren't in Tucson in the summertime because it gets a little warm here, as you know. <laughs> yeah, um, I do. I do. I, I'm, I'm guilty. Uh, so, yeah, and that's exactly right. The entrepreneurs come and present to the group at our dinner meeting. Mm-hmm. How many? How many do you have? And you know, how many will present in a dinner meeting? Is it one or two companies, or three or four? I mean, I get them kind of give me a feel for that. Uh, and and then again, is it is it limited to members as, as participants in that dinner, or uh, and can guests participate once in a while? How does that look? Uh, we look at one or two. Base and I always prefer okay. to have two. We try to get two per night uh, because we only have ten meetings a year. So that means right. the most. Um, companies that the membership would see that have been through the whole process is 20 in a year. 
um, and we want to help support as many entrepreneurs as we can and, and give as much opportunity for our investors to invest as they can. Um, we do have guests that can come to the meeting, but they have to come as a guest of one of the members. So occasionally I, we have people send us emails, um, but it, we strongly prefer uh, somebody that knows somebody um, coming to our meetings. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That's that, I assumed more or less some of those things, but I definitely wanted to, to, to know, and I could you know that you could do five as, as some of these. I think it, was, it used to be called First Tuesday or something like that. Yeah. These would pitch for you know half an hour. That, that would be kind of overkill. Sorry. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would just... My only follow-up comment to that is that we do limit our guests because this is really this is about investing. Um, this is not a social group. This is not a you know I mean, although we are social, but this is this sure. is about looking at investment opportunities and investing. And you know based on the numbers and the amounts we've invested over the, the last three years, there, there's a reason why we're number eleven in the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Understand. You also don't want uh, some of the services companies coming to sell to your uh, uh, yeah. to your members and those kinds of things, where you know they're going to try right. to sit at the table with them and try mm-hmm. to sell them accounting services or trust services or whatever the heck. Uh, understand. Okay, that would, you know totally makes sense. Now let's uh, switch gears a little bit and start talking about angel capital, which you're primarily involved in, and venture capital, which most people would have heard that term more often. And uh, let me start with you, Base, uh, just because of your background in, in, in a broad range of types of deals. Uh, what are some of the similarities between angel capital and venture capital? Well, it's uh, you know at, at this point in time, you know it's cha- it's evolved and changed over the last probably twenty, thirty years. So, um, you know, I think that in today's world, there is, uh, you know, historically you sort of had friends and founders and family members invest. Then you had maybe a seed round, and then you had the angel round, which is us. And then typically, and I'd like to say it was just one angel round, but usually it ended up being multiple angel rounds. And then you would jump to the venture capital round. Um, and then, you know, in theory, there's an exit strategy through, you know, an IPO, an initial public offering, or a sale of the business, or something like that. So that's right. sort of the natural continuum. You know, in mm-hmm. some, uh, you know, as there's been a, a significant change in the venture capital world, and venture capital has historically obviously focused on, you know, a lot on life sciences, a lot on technology, and the number of venture capital companies that have proliferated over the years, I think it's thousands now, and it's declining pretty rapidly. You know, it sort of changed the model. So what's happened, I think, is the angel world has sort of been moving up the ladder a little bit more and sort of, you know, filling that gap. Now there's, there is, there is this, this, uh, you know, the, on the continuum because of what's happening on the VC side. You know, I think angels have had to do more uh, of, the, of the investing. But the flip side is, is hopefully in the long run, we've also been able to get better deals and get, you know, and get involved in the transactions at a little, at an earlier and later, at a later stage, not an earlier stage, at a later stage, you know, where the VCs might have come in. Um, you know, the VC world, if, if, you know, I was reading this morning that the, quote, IPO market's back relative to uh, what it was in, uh, you know, 07, um, that's all good. Because as, as as the as there are liquidity events that will you know continue to feed back and there's the trickle down theory. So um, mm-hmm. I, I'm I, you know I think it's wonderful when we start to see you know the markets working the way they're supposed to again, um, because ultimately that's you know how we get out and get our liquidity as well, so that we can start playing with the houses funds and start reinvesting. Okay, and you used a term. I just want to make sure we define that a little bit, listeners. You said kind of moving up the ladder. Uh, Angel Capital has moved up the ladder. You talking about deal size, uh, and you're talking about the stage of investment. In other words, you continue on longer into the cycle than uh, possibly in the past. Correct. Correct. Okay. I think the I think it's it's a it's a combination of both. Primarily, though, moving up in terms of the point of entry. That you know, okay. in other words, so okay. the, the gotcha. friends and family becomes a bigger, bigger component now. The seed round becomes a bigger component, and the angel, you know, is a little bit later. So it's moving, you know, sort of. We were, we're sort of backfilling into where the VC might have been. Gotcha. Okay, I'm glad glad I asked that clarification. Curtis, would you add anything on that in terms of the similarities between angel and venture? Um, you know, I'd say the the similarities are that we're still both investing in. Uh, the risk reward spectrum um mm-hmm. we're 
we're very early on the risk-reward spectrum, so we both, mm -hmm. Venture and Angel, take a fair amount of risk because um, we know that investments made, at least half of them are going to fail. Um, it's just right. industry statistics, and uh, so that's our similarity. The difference, I would say, and that may, I don't know mm -hmm. if that's your next question, but yeah, um, no, I was going to say that's a lot of differences. A lot of people often confuse those two terms between angel mm -hmm. and venture capital. And and the biggest differentiation is that venture capitalists are investing other people's money. They're managing a pool of money on other people's behalf and making investments into companies, whereas angels are investing our own funds and we're making our own decisions. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that, that difference. Wow, you know, if somebody would have asked me that, I wouldn't have. I, I just wouldn't have picked up that that nuance. I'm mean, not helping nuance. It's it's, yeah. it's a very important difference. So wow. the difference okay. is, I mean, just to make that clear, Ron, I have several mm -hmm. sure. capital funds that I'm invested as a limited partner. Okay. But in, in in the angel world, I do it essentially as a general partner because I'm making that investment decision and mm -hmm. and writing the mm -hmm. check rather than give, writing a check to somebody else and allowing them to write the check however they feel appropriate. Gotcha. And using your earlier statement of kind of <clears throat> the risk-reward um, aspect, it sounds like because of that, the angel capital is going to also be a little bit higher in that risk-reward because you are earlier. If it's going to fail at your stage, that means the venture capital guys never even saw it, mm -hmm. so their chance mm -hmm. of success is even higher. So I guess from that standpoint, right. you're taking a higher risk and you're using your own money. That is, that is absolutely right. correct. So if you were to you know assume that a venture capitalist is going to get – you know, six to ten times their their capital out of it, and I'm just throwing numbers around. Sure, and, sure. You know, we we would be you know sort of ten to twenty to thirty times. You know, so that's because we are getting in at an earlier stage. There is clearly more risk involved. But by the time that the transaction has attracted venture capital money, and you know, generally that's millions of dollars. The, the transaction, the opportunity has been de-risked from from their perspective. I mean, not maybe from a lot of people's perspective, but certainly from their perspective compared to when we invested originally. Okay. You also touched on another uh, that maybe uh, is worth repeating. Uh, the venture capital guys, you, you started to say, are much more focused. They're going to pick an area of their expertise. They're not going to do as broad a range of investments or not even look at them as you would. Uh, that is correct. Absolutely. Um, I mean, generally they go. That's how you know the the limited. Most of their limited partners are high net worth individuals or or institutional investors. So they're sort of parsing the you know parsing their money out as well, and they want a diversified portfolio. Um, one thing you'll find is that when you get to that level, you know you just can't be all things to all people. You can't be a jack of all trades. You have to have industry expertise. So by definition, you pick a vertical and you go deep into it. So, okay, and in uh, your case, the the investors can look at both. I guess your lead investor has a little bit of that in industry experience that's helping the others uh, understand the the uh, the industry and and the nuances that make that deal good or bad. But they give, but they can look at within your group uh, the whole range. They can look at healthcare. They could look at uh, real yep. estate. They could look at devices, whatever else that you happen to have in your mix of things. Okay, that very. So they don't have to go to multiple angel capital groups. I would say no. I wouldn't put real estate on that list. Yeah, real estate. You know, we yeah, look at scalable opportunities, um, mm -hmm. things that can grow quickly without a, a significant amount of capital, and uh, real estate yeah, usually doesn't point. fit in that category. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah, I guess it just the, the real estate came to mind. Well, first of all, that's kind of my area, but secondly, also uh, in some of your in, uh, early entrepreneurial ventures, you had uh, real estate as well. So that's kind of why it kind of came to mind here this morning. Yeah. But good, uh, good exclusion. Now, if we include the company founders and kind of the initial uh, families investing uh, as as angels, is it fair to say that by the time venture capital gets involved, there has been a phase of angel capital in one shape or another? Uh, that's not, a good question. I would say not necessarily. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, sometimes companies can go straight. It, it, it depends on the geography too. Mm -hmm. I think you know. I think there's a much more rich ecosystem in Silicon Valley, Bay Area, and Boston, where <clears throat> entrepreneurs, especially if they're on their second or third company, have direct access gotcha. to venture capital. Whereas 
in places like Arizona, um, you know, the amount of venture capital is is very small here mm -hmm. in the state, and so we do take up a lot more of that uh, that, that that marketplace. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's just one of those that I, you know, to me it sounded very logical, especially as you described the differences. But uh, so it really then becomes. Uh, but the first time an entrepreneur is doing something, it's almost going to be impossible to tap the venture capital unless, uh, uh, you know, this is really some huge idea that he's had, you know, multiple acquisitions or something like that. And I, I just can't imagine it happening. But okay, so I guess in Silicon Valley, some of these guys that are doing their uh, second venture could uh, second or third. Uh, might be able to tap them, but uh, okay, very, very good, uh, you know, observation. In the Arizona market, the answer probably is, yeah, it's going to have to pass through Angel, mm -hmm. and that's maybe a good way to look at it. Let's dig a little deeper into Desert Angel specifically. Okay, how long has the group been around? And let's talk a little bit about the very first investment you made. Uh, the group is 13 years old. It was founded in the fall okay. of 2000. Okay, um, I'm not sure what the very, very first investment made was. Okay. Um, I know that there are some companies from the 2000-2001 time frame. Um, one is Regenesis mm -hmm. Biomedical, another is Syncardia Systems. But I'm not sure what the very first uh, investment was. Which were those are medical device companies. Okay. And now, now that I think about it, the late 2000 was a pretty scary time to be starting up an angel capital group, given that the uh, everything was kind of uh, falling apart in the equity markets and the whole uh, Internet uh, bubble and all of those things. Yeah, I think we were a little insulated from the dot-bomb era, because um, I don't think there were <laughs> a, a lot of dot-com startups uh, in Arizona at that point. I'm sure there mm -hmm, were some. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But it just in terms of investors being scared away by uh, by you know bad ideas that that uh, soaked up a lot of money, I would have thought that would have been a little bit. Tough. Okay, let's take one of those. Let's say the the Genesis or any you know pick one maybe you're more familiar with. Tell us a little bit about the company. Uh, they were a medical device, but uh, what uh, what were the reasons for investing? How did that deal work out? I guess that's kind of one of the things I want to get at. Let's talk about Syncardia Systems because it's uh, still okay. a Tucson success story and it's grown and, and doing very well. Uh, it's a total artificial heart company. It's the oh, okay. uh, world's uh, first and only U.S., Canadian, and European approved total artificial heart. Um, it's a technology that has historically been used as a bridge to transplant. So if mm -hmm. somebody is in heart failure, um, and they're on the wait list for a, a, a new heart, um, this device can uh, support them. They, they actually put the artificial heart in, and it can support them until they are able to uh, secure a heart for the person. And people have been on these artificial hearts for years. When we first were approached by the company, they, the driver of the heart was a washing machine-sized device. So you were tethered okay. to this washing machine in the hospital, and you couldn't leave. Our gotcha. investments and other investments have helped the company develop the technology, miniaturize the technology, to the point that they are now today sending people home with a backpack-sized driver with artificial hearts uh, so that they don't have to be in the hospital anymore. And that's a good example of what we do is we invest in these companies, uh, some often pre-revenue, but very early in their life, and help them develop the technology to the point that the company is doing uh, $25 million in revenue and, and profitable today. Wow. Wow. Now, you know what, and, and I don't know if you're actually involved in that particular early one, but I, I assume some of the reasons for kind of jumping on that deal or getting involved would have been, you know, this is a market that obviously there's a need. Uh, but secondly, I would assume they had this kind of miniaturization path or they, you know, they, they, they were looking at that aspect that would make the thing, you know, hugely attractive. And it's obviously a worldwide market, not, not, not particularly, you know, Arizona only. Uh, were those some of the things that would drive the investors to say, hey, yeah, I want to get some money into this thing and we think we can make it work? I, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the critical um, one of the key criteria that we look at is you know addressable market and how big it is and you know how big mm -hmm. can the com or at least the opportunity for the company. Right. 
So clearly, if, if I mean, I, I'll tell you right now, if it would probably be unlikely that our group or any angel group would invest in a in a company that only had a local market. We we sort of mm-hmm. tend to call those uh, lifestyle businesses, and we don't invest in lifestyle businesses. So, okay. Before we continue, for those listeners who just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. In the, uh, you can listen to the earlier portion, by the way, on the archive. If you missed prior shows, they're on the archive, too, wealthdna.us. Today we're talking with Curtis Gunn and Bass Horner of Desert Angels in Tucson. We're talking about angel capital and venture capital. Gentlemen, let's jump ahead to 2013. What's uh, either one or, or one of the most recent investments Desert Angels has been involved in? Uh, and again, can you give us a little bit about that? We're not going to know how it's done yet, but uh, you know the company vector and, and the reason that the investors decided to uh, to jump into it. Uh, I think the most recent significant uh, investment was a company out of Phoenix called Apps Freedom. Um, And it was an interesting opportunity because it's the first time that – so there's an angel group. There are angel groups all over the country. There's an angel group that we work very closely with in Phoenix called the Arizona Technology Investors Forum. And this was the first time that we, Desert Angels, and ATIF – I'm using that acronym, ATIF – were able to invest together alongside a venture capital firm in Phoenix called Greyhawk Capital. So Greyhawk mm-hmm. actually uh, found the deal and had a little headroom left um, in the deal and gave us the opportunity to participate, and so we all participated together, and um, that transaction closed probably four to six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I assume that's not typical where, where it's going to be, uh, you know, that, that, that extensive of a network of, of, uh, uh, of companies or investors being involved. Well, I would is, say the only my only comment is that I, we are doing because of what I described earlier. Where you know we're getting you know we're sort of backfilling for where the venture capital is. We're seeing a lot more co-investment mm-hmm. opportunities with other angel groups. What is unique about this one is the fact that it's it's co-investment with not only an angel group but also with right. a venture capital group. So that that exactly. is exactly you don't see that very often. Okay. Now, from a venture capital view, I guess part of it, they're spreading the risk a little bit, right? They're not taking the full stake in it if if it doesn't work as well as expected and they get more due diligence out of you guys. That's right. And that's another another bullet point to add to our website um, is that, you know, that's an, uh, the kind of opportunity that I don't think an individual angel acting on their own might uh, see. might find. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. never see it. Never see it. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Yeah. Now, so again, back to my suggestion on the website. You know, <laughs> get 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 some of those things up there. You're gonna you're gonna. Um, anyway, I think it'll it'll drive a lot of people to say, hey, these are these are great ideas. Now, no matter how well you do or a VC does in screening due diligence, uh, there will always be some companies that either have a loss or don't work out. You know, particularly well at break even, uh, and then there will be some big wins. What percentage would you say fit into those categories in your experience with Desert Angels? Well, there's a, a research study done at the University of Willamette by a professor, Rob Wiltbank, um, specific okay. to angel investments in angel groups and exits mm. from those groups. Um, okay. And uh, he looked at over uh, 1,500 exit events. And the, his numbers showed that 7% of investments are going to return a 10x or better, and 50% of investments are going to return between a 0 and a 1x, which is a sum or complete loss of capital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so about half. So you really do have to assume that uh, there's a risk. So if I invest in one deal... Uh, if I put $100,000 a year into one specific deal, I might actually not do terribly well. But yeah, if I do this in two or three, it could work out very well. That wouldn't be a prudent investment strategy in angel capital. Right. Um, in fact, uh, we could even one of the things that we've done to help diversify that is uh, we have a, a, a investment fund that's uh, called a sidecar fund, which is triggered autom- essentially automatically upon investment mm-hmm. by members, and that provides a nice way to diversify your portfolio in this. Because I think, in the, if, if I was to give any advice at all, you if you you cannot pick one deal, 
That is, it's right. your chances of you picking the right deal are, you know, very, very minuscule. If you have to have a portfolio approach if you're going to go into the angel investment world. Absolutely. Okay. And, and, and Ron, I would talk about that. Mm-hmm. And sure. the broader, I want to the edit. better. Ron, I want to edit something you said. You said two or three mm-hmm. deals. I, that number needs to be right. over 10, so, 10 to 15. Yeah, deals. understand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Understand. All right. Now that's and I just you know I just threw in some you know multiple is better than, and and you're you're really talking of much more uh, much like in stocks. So it's going to be similar from from that standpoint. Other than stock mm-hmm. investing is a lot easier since you don't have to do as much due diligence as you mentioned. Uh, okay. Now if you had to pick one uh, or or maybe two favorite companies, uh, is there one? Like Syncardia is probably one of those. Uh, are there some that uh, you know in the last uh, ten years or uh, thirteen years that you've uh, you know just kind of look back and say, hey, that was one of our favorites? Um, maybe I, I don't know if Base wants to take one, but I'll I'll chime in that uh, my current favorite. Well, we can't pick favorites, you know. They're all um, right. They're all well, okay. Favorites, the, and, yeah, uh, favorites from the standpoint think, of the way it worked. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. Pick one that I think has the most significant opportunity to change the world. Uh, a company okay, called Calimune. Um, it is a, a one-time stem cell-based therapy that, if it works, and it's going into FDA trials as we speak, if it works, can prevent HIV from becoming AIDS. Um, hmm. And that obviously is a huge world problem. And it's a Tucson company, and uh, they're starting their phase one trial. Um, as we speak, the first patient will be treated in June, we hope, and, uh, you know, it, it, it holds great hope for the future. They, they have a, cool. it's a, it's a, it's a game changer if it, yep. if it'll, it's, and, and I agree with Curtis completely. If I had to pick one, that would be it as well, because it really uh, is, it's, it, it, it makes a you difference. You know what, Ron, you just did, though? Every other entrepreneur yep. that we've invested in is going to hate us now. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. Oh, okay, no, that's not my intent. I mean, but there's favorite from a lot of different po- viewpoints. That was one of the things I would get at. I thought maybe base would look at them or different. But, but it was really, really interesting for me is you pick something that kind of tugs at the heart more than at the purse strings. You didn't say, hey, you know, the big one, the you know, the the 50x deal that we did. That's my favorite because boy, returns were great. You're really saying I like the deals that really could have an impact in society, uh, and and you didn't talk about what your expected returns are. That was neat. That was interesting. Well, expected returns, are, I mean, I guess by definition, we expect high returns. Um, right. You know, but um, that, that, you know, we invest in a very, we have, like I think all angel investors should have is a diversified portfolio, um, and both Curtis and I have very diversified portfolios. Um, and I would say all of every investment I make, I believe in, or I wouldn't make the investment. Um, That's a good point. And, and I yeah. believe in the management team, or I w- again wouldn't have made the investment. So um, this, you know, this one I just think is unique because of the position it's playing in. But by no means is it without risk. It is very, very risky. I mean, sure, sure. It could it could just not work out. The the the. Yeah. Uh, uh, FDA or, or whoever else could just say uh, this is a no go. Uh, you know, they could find some other uh, side side uh, issue or whatever else. Uh, but uh, very very. Uh, but again, the, the, the what was interesting for me is you didn't you know jump on the deal with the biggest return or one that was you know easiest to deal with. Require you know the management team just handle everything by themselves and you just kind of watched it grow. You you didn't take the ones that were easy. You're taking something that really is exciting for society. Well, I think the way I would look at it is, you know, return is looking in the rearview mirror, opportunity is looking mm-hmm. out the, you know, the windshield. So, yep. You know, we we answered the question basically looking out the windshield or potentially looking out the windshield. No, that's that's very very helpful. I, I you know, that's I'm glad I asked the question, even though, and 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 let's let's say right up front, the extent any of the other companies listen to this is not saying that any of the others are not good deals or not ones you like. And I, I think your point's a good one, base. You wouldn't invest in it if you didn't think it was a good deal. Mm-hmm. So anybody that you've you know that you've turned down for investments might be offended, but you know they already were. <laughs> so <laughs> let's not uh, let's not offend anybody that uh, that has got funding. But now I've got three million dollar questions for you. If an entrepreneur wants to get funding from your group, what are the two or three most important aspects about their company that'll determine whether they get that investment? 
Uh, well, I think the I think we've covered a lot of them. I think number one mm-hmm. is again I'll go back to again the management team. Yep. Um, and that could probably be one, two, and three. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, management, management, managers, real estate. You know, location, location, location. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't emphasize it enough. Uh, I think the management team is critical. I obviously think uh, the market and the market opportunity is is important. Um, and I think okay. also just uh, you know creating you know a, a structurally sound transaction is important. Uh, you'll notice that, hmm. like I said early on, that it was not uh, you know I, I don't get too caught up in the idea. Um, I'm not by background yep. a technology guy in the first place, um, mm-hmm, but I mm-hmm. think that those those are sort of you know a couple of the, the the checklist if there is such a thing you know of the sort of the, would be there. But I'll I'll go back to it. from my perspective, it's management, management, management. Okay, I, so I completely agree with everything they said. Um, mm-hmm. I would okay. add one more that entrepreneurs okay. come to us with a rational and realistic understanding and expectation of what the valuation of their company is. I think that's gotcha. uh, often a deal killer when they come to us with an un, an irrational belief in what the value of their company is today. Okay. Which, so if we took those in the top four, the most equal is management. Yes. I, I think that's, you know, that's who you're investing in. I agree with that completely. Can. Absolutely. And I'll take a second just to disagree with you on real estate. I'm going to add one that people forget about. More important than location, that's timing. And, yeah. and I, hopefully the Great Recession has woken people up to that particular one. But uh, no, I would I would agree with you. Location is particularly you know, important I, I in real of, estate self management. I look at timing as a little bit like luck. You know, you sort of you try and create your own, but you know, but it's you know, it's there's never a perfect time. So. Right, right. Exactly. Well, I just, you know, we can go back to when you started the group. Uh, you, mm-hmm. When the group was started back in 2000, you know, talk about, you say, boy, nobody would want to get involved in naval investing as the, uh, I like that dot bomb, uh, was was taking place. All right, second big question. If an investor wants to join or joins uh, Desert Angels, uh, what's the minimum investable capital? Uh, and I, okay, they have to be an accredited investor, I understand, but to, to, to really have a meaningful stake in multiple companies, what's the amount that they should be looking at putting into angel capital for uh, to really make sense for them? Well, <clears throat> I look at it that angel capital is a is another asset class, and mm-hmm. so you want to okay. have a diversified asset uh, portfolio of investments. So you have your publicly traded opportunities, and if you have, um, if you're a high net worth individual, you might want to include uh, early stage angel investing as an asset that you put into uh, your investment portfolio. Um, but as we said earlier, a, di- a diversified portfolio of angel investments is very important. So mm-hmm. I would. Mm-hmm. Say whatever your chip size is going to be, if it's ten thousand, twenty-five thousand, whatever, that you need to be ready to put ten to fifteen chips mm-hmm. on the table over a period of, you know, two to five years, um, to have an opportunity at a, at a significant return on on that investment. So, um, I don't know if that answered the question, but. Yeah, no, it does. It does. And I, let me let me add one aspect to it. And this is not an investment they should plan to put in for a year. We're talking multiple years no. oh, uh, that they're going to be in that investment. Correct. That's, that's uh, I think that's 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 why you you know and uh, you have to look at it on a diversification standpoint. I was reading a statistic this morning that you know most um, even institutional investors, the pension funds, the the college endowments, and everything, you know, they're sort of about fifteen percent in private equity, and that's all private equity, by the way. You know, right. So right. I think that you know, if you're going to have a, a above uh, average performing portfolio, that this you know, as an alternative asset class, it should be part of it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, I I personally I use ten percent. I think that's a good number. You know, okay. um, but that can also change depending on what the other components are doing as well. So, but uh, understand, uh, understand. You no, know, but I think it's it's absolutely. I mean, I do it not only because it's it's prudent from an investment standpoint, but honestly, I love doing that. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is fun. Getting, invo- well, getting involved, getting involved in the situations good. are fun. 
Yeah, you're definitely doing some good, and you're doing some good for the uh, Arizona economy as well. So I think there are a couple pluses that we kind of glossed over at the very beginning, but I want to make sure that people uh, remember those as well. Uh, now, given your structure, you know, each investor is what they're going to invest in. I know this is a hard question to answer, but uh, what are, is a reasonable expectation of somebody's done the proper diligence? They invest in that diversified group of of, of angel funds. What kind of expectation uh, should they have that's reasonable? So they don't go in and say, "Hey, I'm going to have 50% annual returns," uh, or whatever, and, and and be totally disappointed. What would be a reasonable set of returns? Or maybe there have been some studies on it. The angel investors uh, often, re- uh, you know, earn. As high as possible. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, that's a hard. Yeah. That's a hard question to answer. It's, it's, um, it's almost impossible to answer, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, by definition, because of the the, the risk associated with these, we expect higher returns. So if I look at my personal portfolio, I expect my highest returns out of this segment, this asset class. Got you. Um, All right. There's, that, a, there's a good answer. I like that. Yeah. That's a, that, that I like. So, okay, you are going to, to say that going to this piece of it with the the high returns, knowing it is high risk and that you know half of them are going to die off, but you still mm-hmm. can be expecting a 20% return on your money or something because uh, you, otherwise you wouldn't take that risk. Okay, point. Before I forget, let's remind our uh, listeners how they get more information about Desert Angels, that website again. DesertAngels.org, and that's .org. Correct. Now, I know we've covered a lot of ground, and I, I really appreciate your, your time and, and dedication to this, uh, I, but I'm sure we overlooked some important aspects. Are, are there some additional comments you'd like to add? I think the uh, the only thing I would add, and I think I said this before, um, is that we were we we did we were sort of on the clinical side of angel investing through the last hour. Um, I think that one of the things that we didn't spend the time on is that the is, is the personal satisfaction, how much enjoyment I get personally out of involved being involved in all these companies, looking at all these opportunities, thinking that actually I can make a difference. Um, that's something hmm. that I think is extremely valuable um, rather than just going and picking a stock off the stock exchange. I'm, I'm not making a difference in that company. Uh, buying a yep. bond. I'm not making a difference in that company uh, for the most part. You know, most of the other, even, you know, on the real estate side, I generally, you know, even in my other private equity deals that I've done over the years, I might be adjusting capital structure, but at the end of the day, I'm not having a meaningful impact in the future of that business, the direction of that business. At, at an angel investor's perspective, we get to make a difference, and that's really important to me. Excellent comment. Would you add one, Curtis? Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is if if people are listening to this radio show and want to or considering joining an angel group, be it Desert Angels or otherwise, that they go in with um, the uh, expectation and the want to invest in companies, to you know, not to um, be there for a social reason, but to be there for an investment reason to help support their local ecosystem or their regional ecosystem uh, by making mm-hmm. investments in these companies and helping these entrepreneurs to start and grow their companies. Um, and to, to have a rational expectation that this is needs to be very patient money, that we are looking at five to ten year time horizons um, and that uh, quick returns should not be expected. Okay. Excellent point. No, excellent points. And, you know, it's funny because we did, and your example was one that touched on that, if you will, the personal satisfaction to some extent, but just as importantly, the investing in companies and making a difference. Uh, now, that that particular company is going to obviously make a difference in uh, – uh, in the uh, Arizona market, just because of its its location, uh, but uh, and, and the investors will have, have earned money here locally. But on the other hand, it's going to have a worldwide impact. So the, you know, I think you you brought them up. I'm glad you summarized those points. I think those are those are uh, super points, gentlemen. On behalf of our listeners, and and quite frankly, from my point of view, I'd like to thank you for taking an hour out of your Monday morning and uh, putting up with all of the questions and discussing uh, angel capital and venture capital, sharing your knowledge and experience with us. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate the time. Thank you. 
All right. No, I mean, hopefully we'll have a chance to uh, to get you back on again. We'll talk about some more deals or maybe talk about the fun aspect. So really thank you for being here. Let me take just a few minutes to summarize a few key points from the conversation today. I can safely bet that your financial advisor did not tell you about opportunities available as an angel investor, as a VC investor. Why? Well, if you allocate some of your portfolio to angel capital or to venture capital, it leaves less for them to earn a commission or fee on. Now, angel capital and venture capital are not for everyone. It does require you to be an accredited investor, so you either have to have sufficient annual income or sufficient assets. It helps to have both. Part of our objective on this show is to make sure that all our listeners become accredited investors. And I've, as I've mentioned in the past many times, our objective is to help one million listeners become millionaires. There are many investors who clamor for an allocation of an initial public offering. We call them IPOs, right? And everybody and they're allocated. Not everybody gets everything they wanted. And those often, and as a matter of fact, very often brought out by either angel investors or venture capital firms, and they're the ones that were truly on the ground floor. They earned the high returns before you buy shares in an IPL. They also took the risks, so they deserve it. Now, being on the ground floor, as I just touched on, is not without risk. As I mentioned, even though you they do, and, and, and you, as a part of that process, extensive diligence, a significant percentage of the companies they invest in will not meet their expectations, and you've got a plan, and about 50% of them won't do terribly well, or might be totally total losses, which means you wouldn't want to invest in just one company. And as our guest mentioned, you're really looking at 10, 20, or 30 companies and having that money in there for a longer period of time, unless it's a very small percentage of a large portfolio that's already well diversified. Then you might want to try one or two companies, but I don't think your experience will be a very good one. Now, on upcoming shows, we plan to dig deeper to angel capital and venture capital and several more alternative investment topics, including commodity trading and forex trading. So I just shared with you several good reasons to make sure you tune into the Wealth DNA Radio Show every second and fourth Monday. We'll continue to share the investment fundamentals, some great investment ideas like you heard about today, and most importantly, inspire you to be as wealthy as you want to be. Now the next, uh, boy, it's been a long morning. Huh? Next Wealth DNA Radio Show is the fourth Monday of May. And that is Monday, May 27th, 9 a.m. Arizona, same place and same time. But I will add, it will be on Memorial Day in the U.S., which means more families can huddle around the radio player and listen. As usual, we here at Wealth DNA, as well as the Boomer and the Babe Network, will be having a live show. None of those reruns like other networks run on holidays will be live. Remember, the archive of past shows is available on WealthDNA.us if you have some suggestions, questions, whether about angel capital, venture capital, or other investment topics, or if you haven't received emails reminding you about this show, just send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. See you in two weeks. Happy investing. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.